It's the 18th of June, 1977. As the first rays of the morning sun soaked the San Juan Springs area in a warm glow, two seasoned detectives from the Pima County Sheriff's Office responded to a dispatch call reporting a crime scene, possibly a suicide. They swiftly navigated the twisted roads in their new police cruiser, the car's siren breaking the quiet morning air. The detectives take a turn on a dirt road and quickly notice a Mercury Cougar awkwardly parked on the side of the road. Next to the brand new car, there is a dead body laying on the ground. Upon closer inspection of the lifeless body, the detectives noted a shotgun wound to the back of the head. Besides the deceased lay a 357 caliber Magnum revolver, later revealed to be the victim's own weapon. After a meticulous analysis of the weapon, the detectives discovered that the gun had been carefully wiped clean and no fingerprints were present. Searching through his pockets, they uncovered an ID badge, identifying the deceased as Charles C. Morgan, a 39-year-old businessman from Tucson. Strangely, at the time of his death, Charles was wearing a bulletproof vest, and around his waist there was a belt buckle that concealed the knife and the holster. The detectives moved their attention to the car. They find the cache of ammunition, as well as several other weapons and several sets of handcuffs. Even more bizarre, they discover one of Charles's own teeth wrapped up in a tissue, as well as a pair of sunglasses that didn't belong to him. On the front of the passenger seat, they found a note written in Charles's handwriting that had directions to the crime scene. They also noticed that the car was modified so it could be unlocked from the fender. The detectives didn't know what to make of the scene. To them, it looked more like a staged suicide than a murder. After an autopsy was done on the body, a $2 bill pinned to his underwear was found. The bill had seven Spanish names written on the front, as well as a Bible citation, Ecclesiastes 12.1.8. On the other side of the bill, there was a drawing of a map showing several roads between Tucson and the Mexican border. Despite the peculiarities surrounding his death, Morgan's death was ruled a suicide and the case was closed two months after his lifeless body was found. Charles's wife refused to believe that her husband would take his own life, saying, I'd like to know why. I don't think we'll ever find out who killed him. But a string of even more bizarre events that unfolded after the discovery of Charles's body left the journalists across the country questioning the initial police ruling of suicide and the subsequent closure of the case. Three months before his death, Charles was allegedly kidnapped. After his death, an investigative journalist named Don Devereaux finds out that Charles was laundering money for big crime syndicates and high-ranking politicians. A mysterious woman calling herself Green Eyes 
calls the police and insists that Charles was supposed to meet with a hitman paid by the mafia the night of his murder and that Charles was trying to bribe the assassin in hopes he will spare his life. Thirteen years later, Doug Johnston met a tragic end, shot to death in his car. Despite the official ruling of suicide, widespread skepticism persists, with many believing that Dog was killed by a paid assassin that was supposed to kill Don Devereaux. Adding to the intrigue, another journalist with a keen interest in the case also meets an untimely demise under suspicious circumstances. More than four decades have passed since the demise of Charles C. Morgan, and yet, the circumstances surrounding his death remain shrouded in mystery. The events that happened following his death are even more bizarre. Welcome to Dark Hour Chronicles. In this podcast, we will dwell into the most infamous and thrilling true crime stories, be them solved or unsolved. In this episode, we will discuss in detail the intricate story of Charles C. Morgan and the theories surrounding his mysterious death. The story begins on the 22nd of March 1977 in Tucson, Arizona, a large city situated in the heart of the Sonoran Desert. Charles Curtis Morgan, known as Chuck, a 39-year-old businessman who was the president of his own escrow agency, left his home to drive two of his four daughters to school. Chuck did not return home that morning or the day after. His wife, Ruth, was concerned, but did not call the police to report him missing, thinking that he might have gone on a last-minute business trip and he didn't have the time to inform her. Three days later, Ruth was woken up in the middle of the night by a thumping noise coming from the back door of the house. She swiftly got up and ran to the door. When she opened the door, she was stunned to see Chuck. He looked disheveled. One of his shoes was missing. A set of plastic handcuffs were wrapped around his hands and another one was placed on one of his ankles. Ruth was confused and couldn't understand what happened to him. She kept asking what was wrong, but Chuck wouldn't say a word. He made a gesture, showing his throat, and Ruth asked if he could talk, but Chuck wouldn't say a word. Ruth then asked him if he could write, and he shook his head up and down. She quickly went and got a piece of paper and a pen and placed it in front of him. Chuck took the pen and wrote that his throat had been painted with a hallucinogenic drug and that the drug could drive him irrevocably insane or destroy his nervous system and kill him if ingested. He also wrote that he has been kidnapped and tortured for the past three days. He then asked Ruth to move his car because he did not want them to know that he had returned home. However, he would not say who they were. Reading the paper, 
Root got scared and wanted to call a doctor and the police, but Chuck insisted that by doing so, it would be signing a death warrant for the entire family. The next day, Chuck was still unable to talk. He took a piece of paper and wrote, They took my treasury identification. Root was confused and asked Chuck what he was talking about. He continued to explain that he worked as an undercover agent for the government and that he fought against organized crime. He also said that he escaped from his captors near Phoenix's Sky Harbor Airport. Ruth was stunned. She had no idea that her husband had a secret job. Up until that moment, he had been just an ordinary person, living a typical life. Over the next week, Ruth nursed her husband back to health by feeding him with an eyedropper. There were still unanswered questions, but Chuck refused to give Ruth more details about his secret life. During the 1970s, the Mafia strategically transformed Arizona into a hub for narcotics trafficking and money laundering. More than 500 rocketeers set up operations in the state. Arizona's appeal to these crime syndicates lay in the state law which allowed individuals to buy up land through numbered blind trust accounts. This meant that crime syndicates could launder money and it couldn't be traced. The mob's influence led to numerous gangland-style killings in the area, with one of the most notable cases being the assassination of investigative journalist Don Bowles. Don Bowles was a reporter for the Arizona Republic, who was known for his coverage of organized crime in the area, especially by the Chicago outfit. He was murdered in a car bombing in June of 1976. Following his abduction, Chuck developed understandable paranoia. He took precautionary measures, such as wearing a bulletproof vest at all times and growing a beard to obscure his identity. Thinking that the people who abducted him might retaliate and kidnap his daughters, he started driving his kids to and from school. He also notified the school that no one else but him or his wife are allowed to pick the kids up. Chuck told his father that if anything were to happen to him, there was a letter he had written that would reveal the identity of those responsible, but did not reveal the location of the letter. On the 7th of June, two months after his disappearance, Chuck disappeared once more. That day, Ruth drove the children to school, while Chuck headed out to his office, but he did not show up to the office that morning. Late in the afternoon, he called his office from a payphone located in downtown Tucson. Chuck said he would be arriving at the office in half an hour, but he inexplicably vanished. Nine days after his vanishing, an unidentified woman called Ruth and said, Ruthie, Chuck is all right. 
Ecclesiastics 12, 1-8. And then she hung up. This is a reference to a Bible passage which reads in part, Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Ruth tried to make sense of this passage, but came up empty-handed. She was also too scared to call the police, thinking that by doing so, it would put her and her daughters in danger. After waiting for two more agonizing days, Ruth gets a visit from the police. To her horror, she was told that her husband's lifeless body was found in the desert, 30 feet off the highway in the San Juan Springs area. He had been shot once in the back of the head with his 357 Magnum. The bullet traveled all the way through and settled in between his teeth. The weapon was found lying beside him. There were no fingerprints left on the gun. Traces of gunshot residue were discovered on Chuck's left hand, suggesting that he had discharged a firearm. Chuck was wearing a bulletproof vest. In his vehicle, law enforcement discovered a note that had directions to the crime scene written in Chuck's handwriting. Also found in the car were several weapons, ammunition, a CB radio and several pairs of handcuffs. Strangely, one of his teeth was discovered neatly wrapped in a white handkerchief on the rear seat. Inside the car, the detectives found a pair of sunglasses that definitely did not belong to him. At the autopsy, the coroner found another strange clue. Chuck had clipped a $2 bill inside his underwear. Written on the bill were seven Spanish names, beginning with the letters A through G. Above them was the notation Ecclesiastes 12, with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number. This was the same reference that the mysterious caller had made to Ruth two days prior to the discovery of Chuck's body. On the back of the bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were numbered 1 through 7. Also, a crude map was drawn, which showed several roads between Tucson and the Mexican border. The towns Robles Junction and Sassabi were marked. These towns were known for smuggling. Two days after Chuck's body was found, the Pima County Sheriff's Department gets a call from the same mysterious woman that called Ruth several days earlier. She claimed that her nickname was Green Eyes. She told the officer shortly before his demise Chuck met her at a local motel, where he showed her a briefcase filled with money that he will be using to buy off a hitman who had been hired to kill him. He told her that there was a $90,000 contract out on his life 
and that was escalating at the rate of $5,000 a day. The police confirmed the encounter between Chuck and the mysterious woman through CCTV footage. They discovered that during the period between his disappearance and his demise, Chuck had checked into a South Side hotel in Tucson and that he had multiple meetings with the woman in question. Chuck had also been seen at several restaurants and motels on the west side of Tucson after his second disappearance and before his death, and it's presumed that he was alive for at least seven days after his disappearance. After hearing this, Ruth was convinced that a crime syndicate had put the word out that they wanted Chuck dead, and that the hired assassin informed him of the mob's desire to have him killed. She believed Chuck managed to gather funds to buy off the hitman. However, during their meeting in the desert, the hitman killed Chuck anyway, and also took the money. Despite the peculiar evidence, authorities concluded that Chuck took his own life. They speculated that he might have done so due to financial struggles or concern for his and his family's safety. His wife refused to believe that Chuck would have considered taking his own life without leaving a note for her and the girls. Not long after Chuck's death, a series of bizarre events happened. His seized vehicle was broken into while under police custody. Around that same time, his office was broken into and ransacked. About three weeks after his death, two individuals claiming to be FBI agents appeared at the Morgan residence. They informed Ruth that a thorough search of the house was necessary. They tore the house apart and searched it for a few hours. It remains unclear whether they discovered anything or if they were even FBI agents. Ruth later said that the men opened and closed their identification very fast and that she didn't have time to properly inspect their badges. She also did not write down their names and could not remember them. In later years, it was revealed that Chuck was a secret witness in an extensive land fraud investigation and was interviewed about his involvement in the illegal scheme in May 1977, shortly before his death. It has been long speculated that Chuck was killed by the mob that was operating in the Tucson area and the mafia family he worked for had him killed because he knew too much. The strange case of Charles Morgan gathered a lot of interest from the media. One investigative journalist named Don Devereaux was determined to find out the truth behind Chuck's bizarre death. On the 7th of February 1990, Charles Morgan's case was featured on an episode of the popular series Unsolved Mysteries. After the case was broadcasted on national TV, Don Devereaux 
received several calls relating to Chuck's death. He followed up on the leads he obtained and came up with evidence that Chuck was heavily involved in money laundering activities through his Tusson escrow company. From Don's findings, it looked like between 1973 and his demise in 1977, Chuck was involved in large transactions involving gold and platinum. It seems he acquired a significant sum of money through these activities, with speculations suggesting that a portion of these funds may have originated from Southeast Asia. Don also received the information that there were undercover CIA agents that were helping Chuck in his money laundering schemes in exchange for a small cut on the profits. The journalist also uncovered that Chuck had maintained duplicate records of these illicit transactions, leading Don to speculate that Chuck was murdered for the said records. Don also found out that the letter Chuck mentioned to his father before he was killed was never found. He contacted the FBI and made a Freedom of Information Act request, asking about what they were looking for at the Morgan's family house. To his surprise, the FBI came back to him saying that they never heard of Mr. Morgan and they never searched Morgan's property. Don already knew that the FBI had interviewed Chuck's attorney right after his death and was convinced that at one point an investigation into Chuck's illegal business dealings was opened by the FBI. But the FBI insisted that they had no files on Charles Morgan. A year later, in 1991, Danny Casolaro, a writer living in Washington, D.C., reached out to Don Devereaux to inquire about specifics regarding Charles Morgan's death. Don agreed to share with Danny the details that he had uncovered concerning Chuck's money laundering scheme and illicit transaction. However, before Don could mail these documents to Danny, Danny was discovered lifeless in his hotel room's bathroom with his wrists slashed 10 to 12 times each. The writer's deaths was classified as a suicide by the police, but Don Devereaux believed he had been murdered due to his research into the Charles Morgan case. Six months after the death of Danny Casolaro, Don found out, through his informants, that there had been a hit put out on his life, but Doug Johnston, an innocent bystander, had been killed instead. This alleged hit put out on his life was later confirmed by a CIA official as well as an informant for the Israeli intelligence. Three months after the case aired on Unsolved Mysteries, Doug Johnston was found shot to death in his car outside of his office in Phoenix. Peter Douglas Johnston, known as Doug, was a 35-year-old man living in Phoenix, Arizona in May of 1990. Fresh out of schooling, Doug secured a new job at a local computer graphics firm, which he was very excited about. He had a wife and a 10-year-old daughter, 
and he was described as a devoted husband and father, and as someone who was very close with his family and friends. Those in his inner circle often referred to him as the happiest man on earth. On the evening of the 14th of May, 1990, Dog arrived early at his new workplace at around 11pm. He promptly parked his recently acquired 1977 Toyota station wagon in the parking lot. Seated inside, he enjoyed a can of Mountain Dew while listening to music using his daughter's headphones. An hour later, Doug was found dead inside his vehicle. A gunshot wound was visible behind his left ear. The shot was later determined to be fired from a minimum distance of 12 inches. He was slumped over the steering wheel, surrounded by a pool of blood, with the headphones still around his head and the music playing. The investigators quickly determined the death as being a suicide, even after they found the gun lying a long distance away in the parking lot, wiped clean fingerprints. There was no gunshot residue on Doug's hands. Notably, Doug was right-handed, but he sustained the gunshot on the back left side of his head. Friends and family vehemently denied the coroner's ruling of suicide. They believe wholeheartedly that Doug was murdered and that the scene was filled with evidence that backed their claims. They were convinced that Doug was very happy at the time of his passing and was excited to start his new job. Nevertheless, Doug's death remained officially classified as undetermined. The parking lot where Doug was killed was situated across the street from Don Devereaux's house. Doug and Don both had similar style homes, had similar physical traits and drove very similar cars in 1990. Many people believe that Don was the intended target of the attack and unfortunately, Dog was the one in the wrong place at the wrong time. The circumstances of Chuck's demise in the middle of the desert have given rise to a myriad of theories over the years. The police's theory never changed. They believe that Chuck took his own life and left behind strange clues to lead everyone on a bizarre goose chase. The theory is supported by the fact that there was gunpowder on Chuck's hand and the gun used was his own. But there are many inconsistencies with this theory, most notably the fact that Chuck was right-handed and the gunpowder residue was on his left hand. It wouldn't make sense for him to use his left hand to shoot himself in the back of the head, let alone use such an awkward position to kill himself. The presence of the sunglasses that did not belong to Chuck indicated that an unknown individual was present at the crime scene during Chuck's demise. Another theory that a lot of people believe is that Chuck died as a result of his association with the Secret Service. There is no evidence that Chuck was ever part of the Secret Service, but he did admit to his wife that he worked for the Secret Service as an undercover agent to bring down the mob. 
the fact that the FBI allegedly erased all the information about their investigation into Chuck's business dealings shows that the Secret Service wanted to cover their involvement in the case. Some people believe that the $2 bill with strange markings that was hidden in Chuck's underwear was his way of leaving behind specific information known exclusively by the Secret Service. There are also rumors that Chuck had a lot of information about high-level officials and their sketchy connections with the Mafia. It is possible that the officials wanted to kill him before Chuck could tell the authorities anything incriminatory about them. One of the problems with this theory is that no one knows if Chuck was an undercover agent for the government. He could easily just have lied to his wife to cover up the real truth. The most believable theory is that Chuck was working for the mob and was killed on orders from the mafia because he knew too much. In his investigation, Don Devereaux uncovered paper trails that pointed to the fact that Chuck helped crime syndicates and international officials make a fortune by laundering money for them. The clue that makes this theory the most believable out of all is that Don found out Chuck was keeping records of the illegal transaction. Chuck probably kept them in case the people he was laundering money for would turn against him. It is also possible that Chuck could have been an undercover agent that was authorized to carry out illegal transactions as part of his mission. It is speculated that when the people that worked with Chuck found out he was keeping records, they couldn't trust him anymore and he had to be taken out. It is theorized that after Chuck was dead, the Mafia sent men to his house and office to search for the missing records. More than 40 years later, Charles's Morgan's death remains shrouded in mystery. The bizarre clues left behind at the crime scene only made the case more complicated. The ties to the Secret Service, CIA, prominent Mafia families and unexplained deaths only add to this unsolvable puzzle. Don's revelations about Charles's ties to the Mafia and involvement in illicit activities add a layer of complexity that makes this case seemingly unsolvable. What do you think happened to Charles Morgan? Join us next week when we will discuss the grisly murders of serial killer Peter Sutcliffe, better known by the name the Yorkshire Ripper.